Like I said, we're going to finish up this letter. All right, we, we did not study the book of James, correct? Right. Correct? All right, we don't study books around here. All right, we study letters for the most part. All right, there are a few books, there are a few gospels that we refer to as books. All right, but we study letters, and letters have three distinct attributes. Three things that you must consider in a letter, all right? If you receive a letter in the mail, what's the first thing you're going to try to gather? What kind of information do you need to be able to properly read and ascertain the message of the letter? You, well, you got to open it. That helps, all right? All right? But, but you need to know who it's from, who actually authored it, right? Is that important? All right? If you get a letter from the governor of the state, uh, the sheriff, the whoever, some person in, in authority, do you need to open that letter? Like when you get the IRS letter. Yeah, the IRS letter thing. You can't just go, ah. All right? there, there's an author to this thing. All right? There's also what to every letter? it's addressed to. All right, very good. You have the beginning of the letter and you have the end of the letter. Those are two very important things, okay? But what's the other thing? You have the author and you have the audience, but what also is important to understand when you read a letter? The message. The message within it, all right? That's true. That's the body of it. Context. Context. All right, if you read a letter that's written from... A girl to a guy, and it's this love thing, and it's, I can't wait to see you, I look at your picture every day, blah, blah, blah. Y'all remember that old school stuff where we actually used paper to write people? Y'all remember that? Anybody remember that? All right, yeah, just check it. All right. When we used to, there was a context to it. Now, what if that letter is written in a time of war? It, it, it becomes special, doesn't it? it there, there's a uniqueness to it. There, so there is a, an audience, there is an author, and there's always an atmosphere. That's how I remember it, the three A's. The audience, the author, the atmosphere. We've got to know that about James. We know James was who? Who was James? The younger brother of Jesus. He walked around with Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He heard Jesus talk fairly often. All right, Caden, you're a little brother, right? You've grown up around this beautiful young lady, right? Have you ever heard her speak? Do you know what her opinions are? Do you, do you know the things she does and does do the habits she has? Yes, you do, right? Whether you like them or not is irrelevant, all right? Whether you can appreciate them, it's irrelevant, all right? Jeffrey, you've grown up. You got some up and you got some down, all right? And so they know you guys. So I always love this. You know, the, the disciples had three years at best with Jesus. What did James have? 33. I mean, that's our best guess. James got to see it when he was a teenager. Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not counting. All right? But it, it's, it's interesting. So when we hear the words of James, I love the way it, it kind of, it's deeper than the words of Peter of John, it's deeper than these guys because it's been tried and true, all right? But not also that, but I love to see that it goes forward. I see so much of Paul's writings, of Paul's practices in this letter that James wrote. I believe James wrote this very early. I, I think he wrote it well before all of the other ones. I think he wrote it because he wanted to communicate to the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, this is how we want to do things. This is how my brother taught me. This is what's tried and true. And so I look at Paul and I go, when Paul wrote that, I wonder if he got a lot of his instruction from this letter or from his time with James early on. So I want to just put that on there. So as we leave the letter of James, that we leave it feeling like we know the guy, feeling like we've experienced him. All right? And if you need to, you can go back and you can read, listen to all the sermon audio from all this series. All right? You can go read the sermon blogs on that stuff. 
All right, Periscope will be up for 24 hours. You can't do a whole lot with that. All right, but you can go back and you can see these things as we work through them. So that's where we are. So let's read this last little phrase, this last little section here. Uh, 519. It says, my brothers, if any among you strays from the truth. You may have a different word there. Strays from the truth. Wanders. Wanders. I like that word better, but we'll come back to that. And someone turns him back. Same words? Same one turns him back? Something like that? Brings him back? That's a stretch. All right. All right. So if, we have an if-then statement here, right? We've got if. All right. If any among you strays from the truth and someone brings him back. How many conditions do we have there, Katrina? We have an if statement with how many conditions? If someone strays from the truth and someone brings him back. Okay, now an if-then statement, anybody in, in here logic-oriented? If you have an if-then statement and the if has two conditions, how many of those have to be met before the then can come true? Both of them, all right? It didn't say if someone strays or something else, all right? It's two conditions. Both of them have to be met, okay? So remember that because we're going to think logically this morning. Scary, all right? All right? If someone strays from the truth and someone turns him back, verse 20, let him know. There's a him in there. Who's this him guy? Who's, who's the him modifying? Who's that pronoun modifying? The someone who turns him back. Let him know that whoever, again, the same guy, turns a sinner from the error of his way. Anybody got different there? Error? Everyone? Anyone? Wandering. Wandering? Better. Same word. Same word from verse 19. Strays and error, exact same word. All right? So the wandering or the wanderings of his way will save his life. Anybody have soul? Good, good. Better word. Soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. All right, so this is his final thing. So if, with our two conditions, if someone strays and someone brings him back, then... He will be, his soul will be saved from death and a multitude of sins will be covered. Okay? So that's kind of our, our baseline, what we want to do with this thing. So let's break this down. Let's figure out what we're dealing with. When James starts this thing, he says what? How does he identify? He calls out to whom? My brothers. Okay? Who are his brothers? Is he speaking to the deceased Jesus? To Jews? To the others? To the believers, okay? So we have a group. He's writing to a group, okay? Now, the group that he's writing this letter to is who? Remember this? The Jews in dispersion. Now, where do they live? Where do the Jews in dispersion live? Yes. <laughs> Everywhere. Think the Mediterranean area? Yes. So when they were dispersed, they went, it's like stepping on an ant pile, okay? Jews went everywhere, all right? They went all the way to Spain, all right? They went to Alexandria. They went down in deeper into Egypt. They went to Babylon. They went to Persia. They went everywhere, okay? So the Jews in dispersion, this is who this writing to. And so he uses this term, my brothers. Now, what can we imply here? Can we do that? Anybody okay with that? Everyone okay with that? Can we say sisters? Can you read that? Sorry. Yes, because you have a, a newfangled, politically correct translation of the Bible. All right? It does. It says, it, it uses the term Adelphos. All right? We get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. You always be on this. So Adelphos, James is writing to my brothers. Why is he writing to the brothers and not the brothers and the sisters? Because who would read it? The church leaders. Who are the church leaders? The men of the church. All right? It's just the way they rolled back then. It's just the way it is. It was cultural. It's also part of the practice of the Christian faith. All right? That the men are to lead out. All right? And the only reason women need to lead is because men don't take the responsibility seriously. People always ask me, well, what about women in the, in the church? What's about well, women's role in the church? I said, women's role in the church is to step up when the men fail. That's what I think. I always love their look, look on people's face. 
They don't know what to do with that. They're like, oh, you're not supposed to say that. In Ooh, yeah, that kind of on my toes right there. All right, yeah, men, women's role is to step up when men fail to lead. So do I have a problem with women in the ministry? No and yes. I have a problem because that tells me the men failed to lead. All right? I don't know why I just jumped on that, but that's, <laughs> somebody need to hear that. All right, so we have this idea. My brothers. Now, James uses this term seven times. Is that important? Yeah. Don't get caught up in numbers. I don't do numbers things. All right. He uses it seven times. Eight times, he uses the word brothers. So he'll say brothers this, brothers this, brothers this. Love your brothers, something like that. All right. But seven times he uses this phrase, my brothers. That's because it was written to his Jewish brothers spread out everywhere. Now, this term brothers, is this a ethnic term? Or is this a religious term? You follow me on the difference here? Is he calling them my brothers because they are the Jews in dispersion? Or because they are the Christian Jewish people in dispersion? Which is heavier? Christians? Not because they're Jews? Can we give a little both hand? In our culture, we would call them brothers in Christ. Okay? Sure. So that's using our vernacular. Mm -hmm. okay? So can we put that on that word? Would he have used it in that context back then? As Christian brothers? Yeah, as, just as Christian brothers. I don't think he has the capacity to remove himself from the identity of them as Jewish Christians. Okay. I, I, you follow me here? I, I don't think you can separate this. You don't think he's referring to Gentiles? I, I don't think he makes the distinction at this point. Does that make sense? I, to me, it's like a scrambled egg. How do you unscramble it? They're, just, they're Jewish and they're Christians. He doesn't see a distinction. So if anyone joins this group of people, now they're his brothers. He doesn't go, oh, well, you're the Gentile brothers. You're my Gentile brothers and you're my Jewish brothers. You, you follow me here? The way, the way James speaks, he doesn't say... Well, you Jewish believers, you believe this way, and you Gentile believers, you believe this way. It's, it's just, that's not a distinction anymore. And who articulates that better than anyone else in the New Testament? Paul? Maybe the guy that read this? If there is no longer separation between the two, they're, they're one flesh, all right? The wall of hostility has been torn down. This is what he says over and over and over again. And so when James throws us in there, he talks about my brothers. Now he looks at this. It's my brothers. If any among you strays from the truth, okay? So we have, evidently, we have this group, group of believers. And he says, if any one of you strays, and you said yours has wanders, all right? It's our Greek word. I'm going to change colors here. We'll do it this way. Planeo. We've talked about this word many times, right? All right? The ancients looked up in the skies and they went, hey, why is that star wandering around? Because Orion has a belt and it's got three stars and they are always there. And the Big Dipper is always there and it does that all the time. All right. But what's that guy doing in there? All right. So they said there were these wandering stars. All right. That they refer to as what? Planeos. We call them what? Planets. Okay, because what, what kind of constellations, what happens with the constellations when Jupiter jumps in there? You go, hey, that's not supposed to be there, all right? Because it's a wandering thing. So what does it mean? They wander. Someone wanders from what? The truth. Very important. It has the article there. The truth. Not just he wanders from truth as a sort of this nebulous concept. He wanders from the truth, okay? So what does that mean? So if I've got Bob sitting here, and he's in the truth, and he wanders away from the truth, we get the, the preposition apo, A-E-O, all right? He mean, means he does what? Bob's in the truth. He's inside this bubble. He's in among the brothers. So if any of you, this Bob here, strays 
from the truth, where is Bob now? That wasn't a hard question. <laughs> he's outside of the truth, all right? Yes, he's inside or he's outside. It's this idea of apo. We'll get a apostle. Think of it, the, the first three letters of apostle are what? A-P-O, right? It means to be sent out. It's the Greek word apostello. To mean to go out and do what? You share the gospel. So an apostle goes out. He's sent out. This one has done what? What has happened to Bob? Bob Moskowitz. I don't know what his name is. Or if he's Jewish or he's a Christian, we don't know. All right? But he's gone out and he's done what? He has wandered away from the truth. Now, why would you wander away from the truth? Let's do this. We've got to nail down what the, the truth is, right? It's not just truth, all right? It's the truth. So come over here. We'll do a little sword drill. 118, James 118. I'm going to start in 16. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the message of truth. That we, should, that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. So how do we get a new birth? This new birth, what? Isn't that the gospel? Isn't it the gospel that gives us new birth by the message of truth? So could it be that Bob here is walking away from the gospel? Is that what the truth is? Is that what it is? Come over here to Ephesians. Ephesians 1. In verse 13. <clears throat> Paul writes this, when you heard the message of truth, there's our word again, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So again, what's he saying? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel, is this what Bob is wandering away from? Is he straying from the truth, the gospel? All right, let's, uh, let's Paul say it again. Go flip over Colossians here. Colossians 1. Colossians 1 in, uh, in verse 5. Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to start in 3 just so I can pick up the context here. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Again, we get it one more time. We see this over and over. In Romans 1, you don't have to go there. You can go back to James with me if you want to. In Romans 1, it says that those who walk away from Christ, they have exchanged the truth. They suppress the truth. They're turning away from it and made themselves objects of wrath. Now, what's going on with poor little Bob? Bob was here. And he has wandered away from the truth. Now, if you're never in the truth, can you wander away from somewhere you never were? You're in this room now. Can anyone walking by wander away from this room? By definition, no, no, no. So we, we just jumped into a little theological briar patch, didn't we? Because we like to say it once, saved, always saved. Once you're in the gospel, once you're in, you're always in. But James just said, if someone wanders 
from the message of the truth. If someone wanders from the gospel. So what do we do with our once saved, always saved, good old Baptist theology? We explain it away, right? We pull out the Greek and we pull out this and we could mean this and it might mean this and it might mean this, but it could mean this. Why don't we just read it? Why don't we say this is what James meant to say? Brothers, if someone wanders away from the truth, if someone apostasies, y'all with me on this word? Apostasis. To leave, to remove yourself from the place. Apostasy. If someone walks away from the truth. Can we even do this? There's a lot of people out there saying, you can't do that even if you wanted to. James seems to think you can. And as much as I appreciate all the theological degrees that that person may have, I'm going to go with James. Because James says right here, my brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, the gospel, from Christ. What does Christ say when Thomas says, Thomas, Thomas says, Jesus, you keep talking about this way that you're going, and we don't know where you're going. And Jesus says what? Thomas, don't worry. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So is this possible? Now, let's be careful in this. Because some people want to go, well, the ones they'd always say, if I start sinning, then I'm just going to fall away from Jesus. Did, did he say anything about sinning his way out of the truth? No. There, there's no ethic to this. There's no moral to this. It just says if he strays or wanders from the truth. How does this happen? Could this happen? Happened to a guy named Demas, one of Paul's companions. And Demas has left us and gone to Thessalonica because he cared about this world. When Jesus tells the parable of the sowers, we get the first soil, what happens? It lands on the hard, rocky road surface, and what happens? Doesn't do anything. Plucked away. And then some falls on the soil that's rocky and shallow. And it does what? And it springs to life. Uh-oh. He got saved, right? That's life. But what happens? The persecution, the tribulation of this world gets to him. And because he doesn't have any root, it dies. The third case, it falls among the what? The thorns. And it chokes it out. This is the world. This is the cares for riches and earthliness that chokes it out and it produces no fruit. And then finally, the good soil, and it produces much fruit. Which one of these is Bob? Can't be a good soil, right? It's shallow. Shallow? Shallow or thorns? Which is it? Good to eat it. Good to eat Mm-hmm. The whole message comes out to me like how the accountability as Christians you have that um, to those people that see into your life and will say the right that you're starting to go down is not good for you. You mean it takes other people? This isn't the Holy Spirit. It, James doesn't say, my brothers, if anyone strays among you and the Holy Spirit turns him back. Does anybody's translation say that? What does it say? And someone, which means the Holy Spirit, right? James is specifically speaking about the Holy Spirit here, right? When he says someone? That person could be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Oh, absolutely. Does the Holy Spirit play a role in this? Absolutely. Don't hear me say the Holy Spirit takes the day off. All right? The Holy Spirit's the one working in that someone. And he's one out there pleading. But do you you see the beauty of this, that God lets us play? God doesn't just say, that's it. You people, you sinners, you rebels, you're no good. You're horrible people. 
totally depraved. There's no role for you whatsoever. It's just my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the only thing that matters in salvation, period. The end of story. James doesn't think, seem to think so. If any among you strays from the truth. Well, if the Holy Spirit's the one doing this and the Holy Spirit captures your grace and faith and all this stuff and he gives you all this, A, you can't walk away, right? James seems to think you can. And then someone brings them back. Now, where's the someone going to come from? Where's the someone going to come from? If, if, if one among you, we got it, Bob here, strays from the truth, and someone, where's the someone going to come from? It has to be from the brethren. It's not someone over here? No. Not somebody who has no idea about the truth. <laughs> That'd be weird if it did, wouldn't it? <laughs> Y'all with me? Yeah, some lost guy just walked up, and I got saved, went back into what God was telling me to do. That'd be weird. Holy Spirit can do that, though, can he? Yeah, he can. But who's he talking to? Someone's right here. And what's this someone doing when he sees Bob over here? What's his heart? What's this someone like? Describe this person for me. Describe this one. Judgmental? Look at Bob over there. He's fled the gospel. He's turned his back. Can't believe Bob. Do you think that someone notices? How many of us in church don't notice those who have wandered away from the truth? We, we play defense too much in the church. Sin management, that's our job. Just don't sin. Whatever you do, don't sin. Um, Jesus died for them. Relax. That's not to say go out and sin all you want. That's just to say quit worrying so much about something Jesus already took care of that you become some religious weasel that just is judgmental about everybody and their sins. Because the more conscious you are of your sin and your sin management, the more conscious you're going to be of everybody else's. And nobody likes you. Because you're the one sitting there looking at them going, ooh, look at them over there. Did you know that they did this? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about, maybe we should pray for them. Maybe you should have done that instead of gossiping about them. What's that someone like? Tell me about it. What is that someone like? If someone turns him back, how would you describe him? What adjectives would you use to describe that someone? Yeah. Heartbroken. Devastated. Parents, you can identify with this. Your kid does something just stupid and just as you're mad and you're sad at the same time. Jesus had this. Jesus goes into the synagogue one day and there, it was on the Sabbath and there's a guy come in with a shriveled, oh, shriveled hand. Sorry, I can never say that word. Shriveled hand. And he says, guys, what should we do? Should we heal him or should we leave him because it's a Sabbath? And he looked at him and he was mad, he was angry, and he was grieved and he was sorrowful at the same time. There's a sorrow to this. It's devastating. It's heartbreaking this. What else? Give me some more. Come on, come on. What adjectives? Brave. Brave? Yeah. Because what's, what's the culturally acceptable thing to do nowadays? Well, that's just, that's just the way they are. Yeah, I, I just, I don't want to impose my beliefs on them, right? I just want to let them believe however they want to believe. And if they're happy, that's all that matters, right? 
We don't like being rejected either. Yeah. We know good well, even if we go to someone in love, they're going to spit in our face <coughs> and say, how dare you judge me? Right. Even though you already covered that sure. Sundays ago about what judging is. <laughs> We're not really judging them, but, but that's, that hurts. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to go to somebody that you know is living in sin and say, what you're doing is wrong. It's just not culturally acceptable. But let's let's be careful with this, because is Bob living in sin? And I and I want to, I don't want to go on that moral side. So I just want to pull you back from that. Someone that's walked away from the truth. Now, the effect of that will that be sin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can almost mark it down. And a lot of times, that falling away from the truth will involve a sin. Okay, so let's not focus on the sin, but the fact that they are. Right. It, it's you know you just want to you want to grab them by the neck you know, or just shake them, but you can't. Yeah. Because that's not the loving. That, that's not the great fight. And you use the key word here, love. Yeah. That that person loves, which means what? If this one guy comes over here and turns him back, what about this guy and this guy? This guy and this guy. What are they? Who do nothing? Who, 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 who sit there and, and talk about him? Or ignore him? Or act like it's not even happening? What are these guys? Say it again. They're with Bob? This Bob. This Bob? In some ways they are. Because what have they done? They've walked away from the truth because the truth says what? To love one another. I just happen to be sitting in a building. These guys happen to be sitting in a building and act, frankly, don't have the courage that Bob has to walk away and say, I just don't believe this. What's the difference? What's the difference between the person who walks away and says, I don't believe, versus the person who sits there and clearly communicates in their actions that they don't believe this. They just don't have the courage to walk away. They just want to sit in their building and think, I got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven. I don't really have to do anything with it. I don't have to love anybody with it. It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought that we may be those people. You guys remember Brian Allison? He was with us a little while at the other when we were at the school. Brian just graduated from Harrison this weekend. All right, Brian's mom called me. I want to say it was about three or four years ago. And y'all, some of y'all know, may know Janet. Janet called me and says, "I don't know what to do. My son is turning away from the faith. We've brought him up in church. His brother and sister have been fine. They're they're awesome. They're great. They're with us. Brian is just not. He's not." following this, and he's wanting to turn away. He doesn't want to go to church anymore. He doesn't want to do anything anymore. And, and no one can seem to communicate and help him at church. She said, can you sit down with him and just talk with him and see what's going on? I was like, sure, Jan, I'd be glad to talk with him. So Brian and, Brian and I went up here to Starbucks, and Janet was there sort of sitting in the wings. And for about three hours, Brian and I just talked and I didn't beat him over the head. I didn't bring my Bible and smack him around or anything. All right, I just started talking to him and started asking him questions. And he said at one point, I just don't believe that God created everything. He said, so I don't have to follow his rules. I said, all right, if you believe it, then it sounds like a pretty good theory. Convince me and I'll go with you. I'll walk away from my faith just like you're walking away from your faith. He got about two words in, he realized what he was doing. But I didn't beat him over the head. I just loved him enough to ask him questions and make him think and make him talk and make him realize that he was a 14-year-old just talking out of the wrong end. And I just walked with him. And I loved him enough to bring him back. 
And when he really got to the point where he wanted to be involved in a church and be discipled, do you know where he went? He came here. Why? Because someone loved him enough to talk with him, not talk about him, and not talk down to him, just to talk to him. Ask him what he believed. Ask him what he was thinking. And then without any hesitation or reservation, responded with exactly what I believed and used scripture to back up what I believed. You see, I didn't give in. I didn't go, well, if that works for you, then yay for you. No, because that's not love. Not at all. So if someone walks away from the truth, wanders away from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know. What's James doing? What's James saying to this guy? Someone. Let him know. James is writing specifically to this guy, saying, let this guy know. Let this guy know what he's doing. What do he say? Let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error or the wandering, same word, of his way, will save his life from death. Whose? Whose life? And, and, and like I said, the translation here is it's, it's not the word for zoe, which is sort of your physical life. It's your soul. It's your suke. We, we get our word psychology from this. All right? The suke is this animating quality of life. All right? We, we told you that, that these people on vacation, Ashley was telling me about these people on vacation this morning. The, the dad and the 10-year-old boy were on a jet ski. Uh, evidently, a boat came in to the Another harbor uh, and just whacked them, hit them into pylons there at the dock and killed the, the dad and the son. Just instantly killed them. Mom and daughter were evidently watching the whole thing go down. His soul... What do we say when, the, when a plane crashes? There were 138 souls on board. It doesn't say arms and legs, bodies. We're not 138 bodies. Why? Because we don't speak that way about people. We talk about their soul, their animating quality. And that's what James is saying here. You will save his soul from death. It's not saying you will save his physical life, that this person will never die if they come back and believe the gospel, Right? We're talking about the soul here. So he's saying to this guy, and I love this. I love what James says. Because James says, this guy, encourage him. Encourage this guy. Let him know what he's doing. Let him know that this coming over here has a profound effect on the eternity of Bob. That if you come and you save him, and you convince him, and you talk with him, and you love on him enough to leave the building... Leave the building here. Are you getting the picture here? You have to do what to reach the person who has left the building? What do you have to do? Leave the building. You cannot sit over here inside the building complaining about this person. You have to leave the building. You have to go actually communicate to them. They are not going to call you and go, hey, what do you think about my decision to leave the gospel? No, they're done with the gospel. But you're not. And the gospel says clearly love one another. And so James says, this guy, let him know. Let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death. Remember 1 Corinthians 5? Paul is dealing with a situation where a, a man has his father's wife. All right? And Paul says, you people are proud about this. You think it's cool. You think it's whatever, accepted. You're, you're treating it like it's an okay thing. He says, you should be embarrassed that this is going on in your church. Pagans don't even do this. And he says to him, what? You need to do what with that guy? Send him out. Do not, let, do not communicate to him that you approve this. Why? So that in the end, he might be saved so that his soul might be saved you don't deal with this and just go oh it's no big deal oh it's okay you deal with it second corinthians he comes back and says hey that guy won't you bring him back so it doesn't get too harsh because we want to bring him back 
Because we want Bob where? Back in. At the end of the day, we've got to bring them back in. And this someone, tell him, good job. Good job. You did this. You saved his soul from death. That's what we get to do. That's what we are empowered to do by the Holy Spirit working in us. When the gospel message takes hold and root in us, we are grieved when we see others walk away. But we're not just sitting there going grieved. Oh, that's so sad that he did that. Oh, well, I guess I'll go back to my building, read my book, and be really nice. No, we get out of our building. We pray. We don't pray these nice little polite prayers. We beg and we plead. We cry out to God. Scripture says what? James says what? The, the prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. When what? When what condition is met? When he's energized. When there's some energy to him. What would you say about Bob or this guy? Who's, what's someone? Is he energized? Is there something working in him that says, I can't stand by and sit here when Bob's here? There's energy there. What about these guys? They have no energy. They have no love. They have no compassion. They're just judgmental church folks that just want to complain about something else and not get their hands dirty and not engage in conversations and not go and say, look, I love you too much to let you do this. You, you can hate me, you can do it, but I am not going to let you walk away and think it's okay. I'm going to say something. I'm just not going to sit by and let you do this. Why? Because I'm energized and I'm going to continue to pray for you. And you can think I hate you and you can think all these things about me, but I want you to know this. I love you and I'm just not going to let you walk away. That's somebody that's energized. That's somebody that's loving. I've told you several times, we've had several students, college students over the years, who have come out and that they are living a homosexual lifestyle, completely walked away from the church into a person, I have dealt with each and every one of them and says, I am never going to let you think this is okay. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I will do anything, meet with you anytime, do anything I can for you, but I will never tell you it's okay. And they know that about me. And they know that I will get in the car at any point, at any time, and go wherever I need to do, sit down and talk with them. But most of them are still wandering away. And it absolutely breaks my heart. So what do I do? I beg and plead on behalf of God, on behalf of them, that God will do something in their lives, that God will give me an opportunity, that at some point they will say, you know what? Bubba always loved me. I can trust him. And any chance I get, I will interact in their life, but I will never, ever, ever give them any approval whatsoever because that's not going to save them at the end of the day. Why will this cover a multitude of sins? First Peter says, love each other and you will cover a multitude of sin because it's the loving thing to do. Now, is that literally covering your sins? If I go and save Bob, will I get to go to heaven? No. It's a euphemism. It, it's, it's something that it's, it conveys the strength of this action. It conveys the beauty of what you're doing here that you're demonstrating that you do understand the gospel message as opposed to those who walk into a building and talk about other people. Do you love people enough to turn them back? Do you love people enough to engage people? Is your love greater than your fear of rejection? Is your love greater than the fear that you have that you will actually have to talk to somebody about something that's uncomfortable Do you love them more than that? How do we do this? How do, we, how do we become this guy? How do we turn them back? Let me give you some very practical things. Number one, we want to pray for them. All right? And when we're done praying for them, we want to pray for them. And then we want to pray for them. And, and at the end of the day, we need to stop and we need to pray for them. Because the prayer of an energized, righteous person is very powerful. Now, are you going to see results because you just sit there and pray for them all the time? Maybe. 
but it seems to me that James, the little brother of Jesus, says we got to get in gear, and we have to do something. We have to engage in the process, and God's going to let us play in this and let us be one, and he can encourage us saying, nice job. Do you understand what you just did to this guy? Do you understand what you did? Bubba, do you understand what you did in the life of Brian Allison? Do you understand what you've done in the life of Caleb Martin? You jumped in and said, no, I'm not going to let you stray away. Do you understand? Do y'all understand the beauty of that? How in the world can you sit in your building when you understand the beauty of turning someone back to the faith and saving their soul from death? Man, what else better you got to do today? We got to go lay out and get some suntan. Shut up. You're not allowed to talk anymore, all right? No, what what better thing do you have to do today? So we want to pray for him. How do we want to pray for him? I've said this many times. The position you have and the position you understand in your career. So many of us think, all right, I'm going to pray for this guy. So God... Tell me what you need me to tell him. And so I will tell you. And we want to pray this way. We want to get in between God and the other person. And I say this. No, 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 no. Put him here. Go. Okay, God. Here they are. You know their life. You know what's going on with them. You know their situation. You talk to them. And if you need me, I'll be here. I'll be here to interject in any way, in any words, whatever you need. I'm here. Tell me what I need to say if I need the same thing. But you do your thing here. But see, we got the nosy thing going on. And we want to interject. And we want to be the one that says the right thing, the right words. No. Best thing you can do is shut up and pray for somebody. Now, if God lets you play in this, now what do you do? Number one, I say this, discuss. Discuss. Talk. This is the long-term process of this. The main thing you need to do is talk to the other person. I like to ask the question, what do you believe? If I'm talking with someone, leading them to Christ, sharing my faith with them, you know what the first thing out of my mouth is? Not, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. All right? I don't pull out my four spiritual laws. I don't get out my tracks. Especially don't get out my big minister's Bible. All right? With wedding stuff in the back. Okay? I don't do that. All right? What I want to do is discuss, talk with them. I want to go to Bob and say, Bob, what in the world's going on here? Tell me why you're walking away from the faith because if you're walking away from the faith for a good reason, I might want to walk away too. So explain to me what's going on with you. What did I just do? Let me ask you this. What, what, what do you enjoy talking about most? Your opinions or someone else's? Come to my house. What do you like to talk about? If someone asks you your opinion, how many of you are like, oh, okay, I can, I can play that game. I enjoy talking about my opinions. All right? You want to ask me about politics? I'll play that game. I'll play for a long time if you want to talk to me about politics. All right? Gabe knows that. <laughs> All right? He knows I'll play that game. You want to talk to me about baseball? I'll be glad to talk about baseball. Heidi, anytime. You know me? We'll go talk baseball anytime you want. Why? Because I like talking about my opinions. We all do, right? So what do you do when you find a person outside of the faith that's wandered away from the faith? Ask them what they're thinking. Not in this accusatory thing, this inquisitive way of going, hey, what are you thinking? What's going on? What is it you've heard? What is it you're thinking through? And let them talk. Because you know what they're going to do at the end of the time when they finish exhaustively pouring out all of their stuff? If they know you love them, if they know you care about them, you know what they're going to ask? What do you think about what I think? Eventually, they're going to come to the point where they're going to want to know and get some validation for this. What do you think? Because if you have listened to them, they will ask that question every single time. Talk, 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 talk. And when it comes to the point where you can't hold it in any longer, not because you're some selfish person that just wants to share your opinions, but because this is where the conversation has taken you, now you tell them what you think. Now you explain to them clearly, articulately, without any surrender whatsoever, this is what I think. With Brian... I let him talk for a good hour 
about why he didn't believe, why he believed in evolution, why he believed in this, why he believed in this, why he believed that this is the church and the church is bad and the church is that and the people in the church are this. And the people. I let him go for a good hour. You know why? Because I didn't have an agenda of let's take out every single point, right? I let him talk. And that's what you have to do. You have to let people talk. Because you know what? Some of them might have some pretty good reasons why they left the building and they equate the building with the faith. So let them get out whatever they need to get out. Then declare what you think. Third process. So number one is discuss. Just let people talk. Number two, declare what you believe. No hesitation, no reservation. This is what I believe. And then defend what you just said. So discuss, declare, defend. That takes knowing the scriptures. That takes not only knowing your views, but also theirs. <coughs> you need to be able to articulate not only your views, but the opposing views. And you need to know how to take them out. You need to know how to argue against them. At the end of three hours with Brian, he walked away saying, you know what, I was wrong. I need to give Christianity another shot. He says, I don't know if I can do it at this church and this this group with this building and this all this all this stuff he says but I'm not going to walk away from the faith he says I understand now what I've been doing and I don't want to do that I do believe in the gospel I do believe in Christ he says is there any time can I call you at any time if I ever have run into anything else absolutely can we meet at Starbucks any absolutely it's that easy but you got to love people enough You've got to love people enough to engage in their life and not be scared that they're going to reject you and not be scared that you're going to be accused of being judgmental. They already think you're judgmental. Prove them wrong. Just prove them wrong. They should walk away going, you know what? I used to think that guy was judgmental. Now I think he's judgmental, but he loves me. That you can work with. That you can work with. Because if they know you love them, battle's over. You've won. Because eventually they will come around and eventually they will talk with you. And eventually they will make this conversation and you will have done your job. But if you stay inside the building, you have not shown them love. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to...